Okay, everyone, let's finish up. All right, so let's. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna try to get through all this uh, relatively quickly, so we can focus on Revelation a little bit. So, John, the first letter of John, five chapters in length, written by Saint John the Evangelist, the Gospel writer. All these are written around the same time, around 90 A.D. So they're written around the same time, but the themes are a little different. So John 1, everyone who believes in Christ, who's the Son of God, possesses eternal life within himself or herself. The prologue to 1 John focuses on Jesus' humanity, not just his divinity. It also speaks about how the Christian should remain faithful and steadfast in faith. These are good for us to remember today, too. So if you've never read through these, I would encourage you to read them. He focuses on keeping the commandments. And avoiding antichrists. Those people that deny that Jesus is the Christ and reject his father. And he also talks about the importance of both faith and baptism. In 1 John, his theology is very similar to his gospel. And the key theological idea in John 1 focuses on that the faithful Christian is in communion with God. God dwells in us. And through our baptism, we become a new creature or a new creation through our baptism.
Now, I don't have a treat for you, so I'm gonna, I was gonna ask you a question, but I wanna give you a treat, but I don't, I like a, I used to, I, I, I'm like, wait, what do I have that I, what do I have that I could give you? Uh, well, the person that answers the right question, do I, I'm trying to think of, I have a rosary. I have two little candies. Uh, huh? Oh yeah, all right, here, throw, throw that up here. Oh yeah, wait. Okay. All right. So, all right. So here's. I only need one. Okay. All right. So. All right. Um. All right. So that's John one. John two. Okay. Here's your. So it's the shortest book in the Bible. It's only thirteen verses. Now. Here's your question. Raise your hand if you know. You don't have to tell me the you don't have to tell me the scripture, the chapter and verse, because as Catholics we probably don't know it. <laughs> but, 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 but what is the shortest scripture verse in all the Bible? Jesus Who said that? Bernardo. There you go. Oh, sorry, that was a terrible throw. Jesus wept is the shortest man. Very good. Okay, that's the shortest. It's from uh, when Lazarus dies, which actually I think is in the Gospel of John. So, yeah, (laughs) I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and they were talking about the Catholic men. They were talking about scripture verse, and that's what they said. Oh, I don't know. It's in the Bible somewhere. I don't know exactly where it is. And Chris Zajinsky, who you guys have had, was the guest on it. He goes, yeah, just like a Catholic, not knowing this. Not knowing, we know where it is. We have a general sense where it is. We know the chapter of the verse. So, okay. So, Second John, shortest book in the Bible. Similar to the Gospel in his first letter. Again, written about 90 A.D. Really doesn't give us an um, audience. But whoever they are should remain faithful to the teaching that they've received from the apostles. Like when we think of a letter, these are what we think of like the size of letters. So the author IDs himself as an elder, which would be an older person of the community. Which at this time, John would have been older. And at that elder age. And then there's reference to the, to the elect lady. So there's these terms, elder, now it's elect lady... The elect lady is not such, is not an individual woman, but the particular church she's addressing. And her children, which is another term that we see here, are the members of that, in that church community.
in the beginning, he talks about he wishes the elect lady grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from His Son Jesus Christ. So it's the church. He's addressing the particular church. And then the theology focuses on how the community perseveres in true faith by living the commandments, by loving God and loving neighbor. So it's important, again, focusing on keeping the commandments and what's been given to them. And he mentions it again, avoid false teachers. This is something we see throughout the throughout the letters, even even with Saint Paul, avoiding false teachers. So that's why these are important for us to read today, because even within the church today, we have people falsifying what I mean within the Catholic Church, falsifying what the teachings of Christ actually are. So these these that's where these these re, 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 I mean, again these these literally you could read in a matter of minutes. Uh, because they're very short. So John, Second John is 13 verses. John 3, or 3 John, excuse me, is now the second shortest book in the Bible with only 15 verses in length. How many verses? 15. So they're, I mean, these are really short. And again, all of them written about 98 Steve? Um, actually, from first John, but uh, when he says avoid the Antichrist, or is he talking about just anyone who rejects God, we should avoid, or Cor- specific someone who comes? No, no, specifically anyone that rejects God. So not like, a, like people, not, in, not an individual, like what we think of the Antichrist. Yeah. So anyone that rejects, that's what he considers an, someone who rejects Christ as the Messiah is an antichrist. You know, like nowadays it's like we're afraid to use these words in in cuz everyone's, you know, you guys write these words to me in a paper, I don't think anything of it. You say these words publicly and people, you know, they they get they cuz we live in such a sensitive culture that when we call people out, they everyone everyone gets offended. Um, you know, like a word that was often thrown around in the Old Testament, or not the Old Testament, in the early church, that, like the early church fathers talk about like heresy, like heretics. Okay, you call someone a heretic today, they go, they lose their mind. Okay, and again, it's part of the culture that we live in. It's just very, I mean, yeah. Our, the early church fathers would have, a feel, would have a hard time living in this society because those guys just didn't care. They just, they just called everybody out. Um, but again, this, this is the culture we live in, and everyone's just ultra sensitive. Um, the theme is that all Christians live the truth of the Christian faith. All Christians should live the truth of the Christian faith. They should do good to all people. 
And then especially offer hospitality to the brethren, which brethren is both brothers and sisters, like the entire community. And again, the author is the elder. And then in this letter, he, he uh, talks about Gaius, who's probably an important person in the community itself. And Gaius is praised for being a faithful Christian and offering hospitality to, to missionaries sent to him. So similar to what we see Paul using like, Timothy as a good example, now we're seeing John pointing out this individual saying, like, this guy's a faithful Christian. This individual is a faithful Christian. He's being hospitable to the missionaries that are And then the theology focuses on the matters of administration in the local church. Okay, so that's the three Johns. Those are one, two, and three John. What I've heard from people who have taken this class from me before, when you start to hear all of this, in, when, when what helps is like now that you've studied all these, these different, um, going through these different letters and through, the, through Acts of the Apostles, you'll, it comes, a lot of the fruit will come when you guys uh, start hearing it in Mass. Or you maybe take a Bible study, you might understand a little bit more in depth. Or even, again, in Mass, hearing, hearing some of these readings in Mass, saying, oh, well, you hear one John, okay? You're like, oh, this stuff, okay, I kind of understand this a, lo- a whole lot better than I did once before. All right, so Jude... Jude, hey, hey Jude, okay, not the Beatles, yeah, the Beatles song, okay, everyone knows that's, okay, all right, Jude is 25 verses in length, also another short letter, the author is Jude, who's the brother of James, the author of the letter, Written around 70 AD. Jewish Christian is the author writing to various communities. But mostly Gentiles or pagans who converted.
You know, I've always, I, that's, that's a good question. I always, I, I, I think, yeah. Yeah, I, is this, see, and, I, and that's, I gotta, I gotta look that, I should know that. I should know that. So in our adoration garden, we have a statue of St. Jude. Yeah, that's Jude the Apostle. I don't think this is the same Jude. That's a good question. I should know that. <laughs> Maybe nobody knows. Well, so, see, because there's St. Simon and Jude. Yeah. Oh, you mean Judas and Judas? No. There's Judas and Jude. They're separate. No. Well, it may be a variation. Might be a very, but it's not the same person. Okay, it doesn't doesn't really matter. Okay. All right. So the theme is the exhortation to fidelity. Exhortation to fidelity to the unchangeable deposit of faith. So the exhortation to fidelity to the unchangeable deposit of faith from the apostles in spite of the enticements of false teachers. So focusing on the deposit of faith, staying faithful to the teachings of the church. Again, it's more like a homily than a letter. It's addressed to the called. And those are baptized Christians. So like, like the letter of James, the theology focuses on morality. It's a moral exhortation. He also mentions God the Father is the only God. He says that Jesus Christ is our only Master and Lord. And Jesus spoke to the apostles.
Okay, so let me just focus on the author real go back because it's in your it's in your Bible itself. The right so this is what it says right in this right in the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible. The writer of the letter calls himself Jude in Greek Eidos and was known to his readers as the brother of James. Several persons mentioned in the New Testament share this popular Jewish name, including the early Christian prophet Judas called Barsabbas in Acts 15.22, and the two apostles, Judas the son of James, also called Thaddeus, Mark 3.18, and Judas Iscariot. So Peter's right, it's a variation. Though some have attributed the letter to the first or second of these figures, and others have declared them to be otherwise unknown, the majority of scholars identify the author with still another Judas, who is listed in the Gospels as one of the four kinsmen of Jesus. This is the only Judas in the New Testament who is known to have a brother named James. This also explains how readers could be expected to identify the author simply by the mention of his brother's name. James, after all, was a prominent figure in the apostolic times as the leader of Jerusalem church following the departure of Peter from the city. He was popularly known as the Lord's brother. And then it continues to go, go forth from there. Okay? That's right in your study Bible. All right. And then, let's see, what else? Jude, so, and then, um, so, and then the Christians are called by God. More of the theology. Christians are called by God. And their faith is unchangeable. So their faith is focused on the unchangeable instruction received from the apostles. And it is the foundation of their life. Now, Revelation, I'm going to say this. I'm going to go through this very fast. I'm only going to give you, not very fast, but I'm going to give you kind of the same points I've been giving you and everything else. Uh, and then I'm going to give you the five points of the book of Revelation. This, it's, it's hard to get to Revelation in a class like this. I mean, it's, it's just because there's so much to it. Uh, and if once I get through it, uh, we'll probably, I could always just go through a couple things with you. Um, it's, but again, it's, it's one of those books that's very always misinterpreted. Um, people think it's always about the end of the world, but it's not. It's, it's not. Uh, and it's, it's hard to read because it's not chronological, and I'll, I'll explain that in a second. So, so Revelation, again, so you got these the three letters of John. The gospel, now we also have Revelation. So we believe it's St. John the Evangelist. It has a different but also a similar style than the gospel. Scholars will argue who actually wrote it.
There's two dates that are associated with this with Revelation, either 68 A.D. or 95 A.D. But both times were great persecutions in the church. Both times of persecution. The theme is the war between God and Satan for the souls of mankind. But in the end, God will triumph. It's apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic means the uncovering of something hidden. And again, written during a time of Roman persecution against the early Christians. So 68 AD is right before 70 AD, and that's when they when when they destroy the temple in Jerusalem. Um which they were persecuting Christians as well as persecuting Jews. And then 95 AD is also another. And then after, then you get into like the early centuries where you get, you get some of these other, other emperors that are continually persecuting the early Christians. Yes, ma'am. I want to uh, share one thing about when the Romans uh, destroyed Jerusalem, uh, when I went there, and these are things that a lot of times you can't read, of course, they burned down the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's a very small section of the Garden of Gethsemane that remains. And the trees are almost 2,000 years old. And where they came from was after the whole garden was burned, completely burned, some seeds survived. And those seeds grew into the trees there that are now there and almost 2,000 years old. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, very interesting. So that was really, um, you don't read stuff like that in the books. And and the other thing, if you've ever read, um, is it? I think it was the Spirit of the Liturgy, by Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. He talks about, and I mentioned this, but I mentioned this to you in the first class. He mentions how, before the temple was destroyed, there's a belief that. Jew, like the Jewish scholars talk about it, that somehow the and it, I, I it's been a while since I've read it, but Jewish scholars talk about how the the presence of God literally left the temple before the before the Romans went in and completely destroyed it. Like they they talk about how there's this how there's there, there were noises in the temple. That were almost like a departure, like a departing of God's presence of the temple, leaving before the temple was fully destroyed. So, isn't that true that um, if uh, someone uh, takes the Eucharist, you're supposed to, of course, receive it right away, but there are some people who will have black masses with them, and I've heard that literally Jesus leaves that before they burn it. I've never heard that. But that's a that would be. 
Yeah, but then it, contradi- it contradicts that, that the Eucharist is always Christ. Well, Christ can come in to the Eucharist, and so if it's going to be destroyed, yeah. I yeah that's that that okay. I, that would contradict what the theology of the sac- the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist okay. is though. Okay. That would yeah, the idea once once the words of consecration are said over the Eucharist, it's always Christ, mm-hmm. even the smallest piece. Mm-hmm. That's why you know, chewing gum is never a good thing when you receive a Holy Eucharist. Like you see people walking up chewing gum because you spit that gum out, and usually our Lord's on that gum. It's yeah, so it's. It's, it's, um, so the idea that once those words are said, it's, it's always the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Even, even, if it's de- even if it's desecrated, it would still be our Lord. That's where we talk about the desecration of the Holy Eucharist. So, um, but yeah, there's some really interesting things about that Benedict talks about regarding the, the, the temple and when it was destroyed. So the, the main purpose of actually Revelation is to encourage Christians to stand fast. To avoid sin and paganism, and to die for the faith. And then God is presented as the Lord of all history and is in control. The theology that we see in Revelation is that God is absolute and transcendent over all creation. So God is absolute and transcendent over all creation and material things. He is the Lord God Almighty. Christ is the God, is God Almighty, Jesus Christ. Then we see this war between God and the angels, which that will make more sense once I go through the five points, because we believe. Remember, with that we believed happened. Before the world, before the creation of the world ever happened, and that's what people have a hard time understanding. Well, why is it in Revelation? But if it happened before, and I'll explain that to you shortly. Talks about how Satan and devils will deceive and tempt humanity. And then the, here's the key thing. Like apocalyptic literature, like we see with Daniel, uh, parts of Daniel, um, it focuses on the issues of the time, written through symbols that were common to the people. So there are certain Bible Christians that believe the things that we are seeing in the world today are the stuff that Revelation or the book of Daniel specifically talked about. When in reality, a lot of the events that happened in Daniel have already happened 
as well as in the book of Revelation. So you get a lot of Bible Christians that will point to these very specific verses saying, this is happening in America today. I'm thinking, are you really that, like, I mean, I, I, like, I hear that. Now, there's one guy, and I'm not going to mention who it is. I like him a lot. Um, he's got a really awesome beard. Um, and they, and they, uh, you probably know who I'm talking about. I'm thinking about he's on TV, okay? He does these videos. I like him. I, li- I like him as an individual. His, I completely disagree with him when it comes to the scriptures. Completely disagree. Because, again, it's a very Bible-based, you making yourself a magisterium, yourself interpreting the scriptures. Like I said, oh, you know, these, like, these certain things that we're seeing, he, you know, this guy focuses on, like, things happening in America or we see, we're reading about in the Bible, which I'm like, mm, I don't know, dude. You're kind of, that's, that's, that's too uh, a little far-fetched. So... And then there's close connection in Revelation with the Old Testament. Similar to what we see in Hebrews. Now, even though there's all this like destruction, death, and disasters, <coughs> it's generally an optimistic and hopeful book. Because at the end, we see that the Lord will return. And there's hope in when the Lord returns. Now, there's five points of the book of Revelation that kind of give us, that kind of help us, okay? And that first point, you must be looking on your notes going, what? Okay. So, all right, so, all right, so, Revelation, everyone remember MTV? Okay, I remember, all right. Does anyone remember the first video that ever played on MTV? No. I can't think, I don't know the name of the band. But the, the video was called Video Killed the Radio Star. Oh, dire Straits. No, no that's, not, that's not by Dire Straits. But why is it like MTV? Okay. All right. Gosh, that's the old logo, man. So this is when MTV was actually good, when they just played music videos, not the garbage that's on there today. Okay. The book cannot be read. So this is one of the first points of Revelation. The book cannot be read in a linear way. The scenes are not chronological. Some non-Catholics want to read it in a very linear way. Now, how does it relate to MTV? Well, the old MTV videos, back in the day, when they actually played videos, they'd have a song playing, right? The, the, the band would be like, like Rat or Metallica or whatever. Men, I mean, I was Men at Work had tons of videos. I was listening to them this morning coming in on the radio. Okay? They're, they're playing their songs but there's different images that don't necessarily correlate with the song in the video. And there's just these, these different images popping in and out. Okay? That's what Revelation is. It's not chronological. Everybody wants to read it like, oh, we read you know, we were chapter 1 to the last chapter. You're seeing what John is seeing. He's seeing these different visions. Now, John's writing this while he's on the island of Patmos in exile. And he's seeing these visions. The Lord 
shares with him these visions, and John himself, more than likely, because there's probably nobody with him, is writing down these visions. That's why we see in chapter 12, so, you know, our chapter, we call it chapter 12, the woman and the dragon, where's the whole, and then Michael defeats the dragon. That's a, that's a, an event that we believe occurred before the creation of the world, when Satan, Lucifer, and the, and the angels that followed Lucifer broke off and disobeyed God because they could see God's vision for the world, for the, for the creation of the world. And Lucifer didn't want to be, you know, because he's, because he's all about pride. Um, he didn't want to serve human beings because that's what the angels do. They minister to us. And so they break off. And so this whole battle really takes place before, before the creation of the world. So again, John's writing these images, and that's what he's writing down. Um, and that's a lot of revelation, just like those old MTV videos, okay, that had really nothing to do with the, had no, a lot of them had nothing to do with the actual video. So it's not chronological. And that's a key point with revelation, because everyone wants to read it like it's linear. All right, so it's not chronological. It's a liturgical document. Uh, what's, it's not a father who keeps his promises. It's um, one of Hans' books on the Eucharist. What is it? Maybe it's the Last Supper. Maybe that's the one. The Lamb Supper. That's it. Read the Lamb Supper with Han. He really breaks open revelation. But the book is to be read in the churches during the liturgy of the word. And we see elements of heavenly worship in Revelation. You have candles, candle stands, seals. So a seal is like the practice of sending apostolic letters to the churches. So like when you break open a letter, you're breaking of the seal. We also see trumpets. which are Old, Test- Old Testament worship had trumpets or some type of horn. There's the pouring out of bowls. In the New Testament, we would have, that's, we, we, it, it would focus on like Eucharistic wine and water. So that's why Han connects it. This revelation, when you look at all of this, it looks like very much a Catholic mass. Candle stands. Um, you know, uh, uh, trumpets and uh, Eucharistic wine. Oh, and then white robes. Okay? In, New, in the New Testament, that's the, the baptized would wear white, white robes. You know, coming up in, you know, less than 40 days now, at the Easter Vigil, one of the big things is when people are welcomed, are baptized into the church, they're given a white robe to wear. So like at Mary Magdalene, and it's probably most parishes are like this, but I just know from my experience at, at the parish, they're baptized, and then they're, we take them into like the classrooms in the back of the church. They're put on white robes, and then they come out, and they're all in white robes. It's the coolest thing, because you see them go in after being baptized, and then they come out with the white robes. Um, also in this document, you see censers, okay, or what's also known as a thurible, Okay, you know, for, for incense. Um, 
You see altars, incense, and then there's also hymns and prayers. So this revelation very much is a liturgical document because it focuses on things that we see. The thurible we have in our parish is awesome. Father Will got it a couple of years ago. The thing looks, it's so awesome. It's huge. It looks like something they, they use in Rome. So it's enormous. It's heavy. Like when I, I've used it before once, and I'm like, it's just huge. Like, yeah, it's big. It's pretty cool. So all of these things that we see are within the liturgy. Number three, it uses Old Testament imagery to teach a theological truth. So John would have been familiar with Ezekiel and Daniel. So these images that God uses to show to John in Revelation would have been stuff that he would have been familiar with from Ezekiel and Daniel. Because Ezekiel and Daniel are both apocalyptic literature. They're Old Testament apocalyptic literature. Okay? Then we have this two-level description of both Jerusalem and the world. Bigger than what we see even in the Gospels. But there's this description of like Jerusalem, the world, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. And then the last one is covenant themes. And we see the Adamic covenant, the covenant with Adam. And then we also see the Mosaic covenant. So like the idea of the, to, to make a covenant is to seven oneself. That's the terminology. If you make a covenant, you seven, your, your seven oneself. It's like you, you're, you're, giving up, you're giving of yourself multiple times. Um, that's, why in the, that's why in the church we, we consider marriage to be a covenant, not a contract. Because a covenant, it's an extension of kinship, of oath to an individual. You give of yourself where the other individual, like where the, 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 the groom gives of himself to the bride, and the bride gives of herself to the groom. It's a sharing of your kinship, an extension of kinship. So that's the idea of covenant. That's why we don't, a contract is just a, you know, kind of a, uh, an agreement between two parties. So we see. Okay. And then the other thing I'll say to you guys is just that with Revelation, it's um, read it on your own, but also it would be good just to, to, uh, to focus on, uh, like I said, Han's book, The, Last, the Lamb's Supper. Um, but that's why, like chapter 12 in Revelation, like I said, that's, that we believe a lot of that happened uh, before, um, especially like Michael defeats the dragon, that would—that's a vision that John, that God gave to John, that happened before the creation of the world. But like even chapter twelve, okay, um, where you see the beginning, a great sign appeared in heaven: a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. Okay. Um, she was with child. She cried out in pangs of birth and anguish for delivery. 
Another sign in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads. This is what, how the church interprets it. Like the seven heads are the seven hills of Rome. And the ten horns are the ten Caesars. Yeah, that's Mary. Yeah. The woman is Mary, not the church. Yeah, it's so like and see that's this is what I'm saying. You gotta interpret this through the eyes of the church. Years ago in this diocese, there was a um acclaimed Marian apparition. And there were people at the time that were saying, like when Mary when she flee the woman flees into the desert. Um, uh, where is it? She brought with the child who ruled all the nations and put her child was caught in God. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared for wilderness. There were people interpreting, oh gosh, that's what this is. That's what this is. Mary's appearance here in Phoenix is referring, is this reference from Revelation, which I'm like, uh, even at the time when I was in high school and I didn't know diddly squat about my faith, I was like, hmm, I don't know. That's far fetched. Then when you start, so that's when people, they self interpret things um, and they, they and again, I, I've said this before to you, this. This book gets gets misread all the time. The individual who I was talking about before that I really like, he really misinterprets the, this all the time. Um, and it's just it's it's something. If there was a a lot more time, if we had a lot more time, we really would spend more time in Revelation. Um, there's times I always feel like I gotta redo this class to focus more on Revelation, but it's just it's so. It's hard enough going through all these books in five weeks. Going through Revelation in a matter of a day would be very difficult as well. So, okay, let's um, let's end in prayer, and then we'll do the evaluations and all that stuff, and we'll just finish up. All right, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Give you praise and thanksgiving, Lord Jesus Christ, for these five weeks to, uh, together well spent focusing on the sacred scriptures. We can again continue to just pray for our Lenten journey during this Lenten season. Um, we offer you um, all of our uh, praise and thanksgiving for all the many blessings, the sacraments, the church, all that you've given us. And we pray for uh, our keynote students that as they continue on with their studies, that you continue to inspire their hearts and their souls to love you, to know you, and to come to uh, have a greater knowledge of the church and the importance of the church uh, in today's world. And we offer this up as we say, glory be to the Father, glory and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen.